Yeah, buddy. Hey, good morning, Harlan. How are you doing? Yeah. Those of you who are watching on, this is the spring break slash daylight saving crowd. Yes. Welcome to the 10 a.m. service, right? Hey, uh, I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk about what a joy it is to work with Craig, but let me just, here's one of the reasons I love Craig. It's because of how much he loves this church. We knew that we were going to have a few staff, some of our leaders out this week enjoying spring break, and we always try to make sure we have a, a good number of our leaders and staff, you know, present here. And, and Craig volunteered. He said, oh, I, could, I had some plans, but I can, I can make sure that I'm here, which was amazing. That's, that's uh, what you do as leaders. You go first. But here's what that meant. He was in eastern Illinois yesterday with his family. And then he drove in for services yesterday. And this afternoon, he's driving back to Eastern Illinois to rejoin his family. I mean, that is the dedication. And he would never tell you that. But that, I love that because it's the dedication of someone who loves this church. So uh, Craig also loves driving. So uh, that's another thing. But love getting to serve with him. Love what God's doing here at Harlan. I want to start us off today reading a verse from uh, one of the Psalms of David. And David writes in Psalm 25, he says... Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. My hope is in you all day long. We're going to talk about hope today. And maybe for you, this is coming at a good time because there's something that you are hoping for. You're hoping for a job. You're hoping for a home. You're hoping for a child. You're hoping for a break, right? Or maybe where you find yourself this morning is, is more hopeless than hopeful. As I've been preparing uh, this message this morning, what I have been reminded is that it is impossible to live in this world without hope. That this life is too hard, that this world is filled with too much difficulty and disappointment for us to try and live without hope. But here's, here's the other thing that I've been reminded is that God loves us way too much to let us live this world without having hope available to us. That he doesn't leave us without hope. And that's because he loves us, friends. And it's not just any hope. The hope that he gives us is not some shallow or pacifying hope that seems well-intentioned, but, but just disintegrates when things get hard. The hope that God makes available to us is the kind of hope that makes hope in a hopeless world possible. And so, just as Craig mentioned, we're been, we've been going through reading these words of a guy named Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, kind of one of these epistles deep in the New Testament. And as we've learned, Peter is this, this former young fisherman whose life was turned upside down when Jesus walks up along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter out in his boat finishing the night shift, fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and Peter calls out, and Peter, Jesus calls out to him, follow me, and Peter does. And, and now we're reading this letter that's written a few decades later where Peter now is not just following Jesus, he's helping others across the known world follow Jesus too. And what we've learned in this letter so far is that when you believe in Jesus, that not only have you been, been saved from your sins, not only have you been forgiven, but you've actually been saved for something. 
that you've been given an identity, that you are now, you and I are, if we believe in Jesus, are a part of the people of God. And that, that people has a purpose. And the purpose is that through our lives, that the world around us would know who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. And the, the people that Peter is writing, he has a very specific group of people in mind. Even though this letter is being spread out throughout what's known as Turkey now, the people that, he are, that, that he's writing to, we've learned, they're going through all sorts of hardships. They've been through economic hardships. They've been through social hardships. They don't really have a place in society. They're, they're homeless. This is why we've called the series Finding Home. They were suffering even spiritual hardships. Some of the hardships that they were facing was just because of the, the way that the world is. It's just the stuff that no matter who you are, you go through. But some of the hardships that they were facing was actually because of the faith that they had in Jesus. And so Peter is writing them this letter to give them encouragement and guidance for how to live as the people of God in a hopeless world. And that brings us to the verses we're going to look at today. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13, Peter writes, he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope. There it is. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter, Peter's making a connection here. He's saying that this people of God, the church, the followers of Jesus, he's saying the people of God are a people of hope. That no matter what is happening, no matter what threats you face or no matter what fears you have, no matter what is happening in the world, the people of Jesus are a people of hope. Now we need to be clear, however, what kind of hope Peter is talking about. Because, because we talk so often about hope, but what we're really talking about is this feeling we have that things will happen the way that we want, right? Usually when we think of hope, that's what we're talking about. That things will turn out for the for the best, right? It'll all work out. Now, who determines what's the best? Well, we do. We determine what's the best. That's, that's when we think of hope. That's how dictionaries define hope, that th everything's gonna turn out the way that you want it or, or for the best. Now, if that, that's how we think about hope. Even the way that we talk about hope, maybe you've even today or this past week, this, you've used hope in that kind of sense. I hoped the game yesterday would have turned out differently, right? If you're, if you're waiting for the season premiere of Ted Lasso, you hope it doesn't disappoint, right? We, we talk about how, uh, uh, when we talk to one another, we're like, hey, I, I hope to see you again soon, right? It's just kind of this, this somewhat shallow hope, and it's a hope that things are going to work out, that things are actually going to turn out the way that we hope them to. So we have to, we have to be clear what we mean by hope, because hope shows up in all sorts of ways. But the kind of hope that Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter 3, this kind of hope is the hope that shows up when life is the hardest. It's when we face the unpredictable challenges of our lives and the unbelievable brokenness of our world. This is the hope that Peter is talking about here in his letter. Here's how New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, how he defines this hope that Peter's talking about. He says, Christian hope, the hope of those of us who believe in Jesus, who follow him as their Lord, it isn't optimism. It isn't a vague sense that things will probably turn out all right. Christian faith is trusting and going on trusting through thick and thin in the God who made unbreakable promises and who will certainly keep them. Wright says it's not optimism. 
It's not this vague feeling that, that, because feelings are temporary. It's a steadfast and ongoing trust. That's the kind of hope that Peter knew. In fact, if there's something that Peter knew about hope in the world today, it's this, kind of our big point for the day, is that not all hopes are created equal. You get that? Not all hopes are created equal. That we can hope in all sorts of things, we can hope in all sorts of ways, but what sets the people of Jesus apart is the hope that they have in Jesus. And so as we read Peter's words, we're going to look back at these verses, but as we read these verses, I want us to remember something. See, we can't just read these verses about, po- about hope like we do a sympathy card. You've probably been through things in life, really, really hard things, and you've had people around you, and they probably love you, and they've tried to give you some sort of encouragement or guidance or advice with, with what you're going through, but they've never been through what you've been through. They've never been in the spot that you found yourself in that moment. And so while you appreciated the guidance and encouragement they had to offer you, there were other people who maybe had been through what you'd been through. And the words that they gave you, their encouragement, their guidance, because they had been through what you were going through, though their words carried more weight for you. And that's what's happening here as Peter is writing these, these, these followers of Jesus. Peter's not just saying, hang in there. He's not just saying, hey, it'll all work out. See, by the time Peter writes this letter, he had been through a lot of stuff. And what I want to do right now is I want to rewind the tape in Peter's life because everything he's writing comes from what he has learned about hope from his own personal experiences of of life and faith. And so I want to go back to a couple moments and show us a few things, three things that I think Peter wants us to know about hope, three things that Peter, in his own personal way, learned about hope. And there's so many things that I'm sure he learned about hope, but I just want to hold out three things for us today that Peter learned, that he wanted his readers to learn, that I think God wants us to learn and know today. So here's the first thing. First thing Peter learned about hope is that your hope's source determines its strength. That your hope is only as strong as whatever it is that you place your hope in. Because every struggle that you face will reveal two things. One, every struggle will reveal to you what it is that you actually hope in. Not what you think or what you say, but what you actually hope in. Every struggle will reveal that for you. Every struggle that you go through will also reveal to you just how strong the source of your hope is. And that's why Peter wrote, look at this verse again, look closely. He says, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. He's actually quoting from Isaiah back in the Old Testament here. Isaiah offered a lot of hope to the people of Israel when when they were going through some some pretty tough stuff. And Isaiah said, do not be frightened. In the Hebrew, this word has a sense of do not be shaken. Do not be shaken. But Peter says, but, contrast, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Make Jesus the Lord of of your life, of your heart. Make Jesus the source, he's saying, of your hope. This is something that Peter had to learn firsthand. It's a story that we know well back when the 12 disciples were on a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee and they find themselves caught in some strong waves. Now, Peter and some of the other disciples were actually fishermen. They'd spent many nights on the Sea of Galilee. They surely had faced a lot of storms and a lot of waves and a lot of strong winds, but there was something about this one in particular that had them a little shaken, we could say, a little frightened. And I don't usually quote the King James Version of the Bible because it was translated in the year 1611. So it's not very helpful for us. Unless you speak regularly using 17th century English and you eat a lot of barley bread, the King James Version really 
doesn't have much, much help for us. But I thought the way this version translated this verse here back in this, this account of Jesus and the disciples on the boat, I thought it actually was pretty interesting. Look at, look at how it, it translates this. It says, but the boat was in the midst of the sea, distressed by the waves, and the winds were contrary. I think those words actually kind of really well describe something for us. See, in, in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, the sea is frequently a metaphor for the chaos of the world. You think about Jonah being tossed in the sea. You think about Noah and the flood. The sea was not, not something to be trifled with. And so it kind of has this dual meaning of representing the chaos and the darkness of the world. And so here are the, here are the disciples being tossed around by the chaos of the world. And to be, to be out to, in the midst of the sea does, does not simply mean being out in the midst of the sea. It doesn't mean being out to sea. It means more like being lost at sea. And it says that, that the, the, the winds and the waves were distressing and were contrary. And I think that's a fitting picture for what life in this world sometimes feels like. Have you ever been in something that made you feel like you were lost at sea? Have you ever gone through something, the, the distressing nature of the waves of this world or the winds? We know a thing or two about winds here in Kansas, right? Have you ever been against something that felt so contrary that it had the ability to blow you over? See, if you've, if you've ever waited for hours one night in an emergency room with a loved one, you've, you've felt the chaos of this world. If you've ever had bank statements staring you down, you've been distressed by the waves of the world. If you've ever lost a pregnancy or a child or a marriage, you have felt the distressing winds and the contrary forces and brokenness of this world. The thing about waves and winds is that they have the power to capsize boats and drown you. And these disciples, they know this. And as frantically as they fought against the chaos of the sea, with all of their skills and experience, they, they still find themselves being shaken by it. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this, they see Jesus calmly walking across the waves of the water. And we know what happens in that moment. Peter calls out to Jesus and he says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. Let's go back to the other, let's go back to the 21st century. Here we go. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, we read this, and I've, I always think, like, Peter's just trying to do a cool thing. You know, he sees Jesus do a cool thing. He knows Jesus does cool things. So he's like, hey, I want to do a cool thing, too. Can I do it? And that's kind of implied here a little bit. But if I were Peter, and I was in a boat that looked like it was being torn to shreds, and everyone around me was scared, and we were kind of shaken and fearing for our lives a little bit, and I see Jesus, miracle worker, walking calmly upon the waters, you know what I would do? I'd be like, hey, get me over there. <laughs> Like, hey, Jesus, call to me. Help me get to you. Because, because that looks a lot better and a lot safer and a lot calmer than what I'm going through right here. And we know what happens. Peter steps out on the water. He takes a few steps and then he starts to sink. He calls out to Jesus in this moment. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now, we... Peter catches a lot of flack. He does a lot of things wrong. He makes a lot of mistakes. He has this kind of momentary glimpse in faith right here. But I think sometimes we fail to recognize something that Peter does right. What he does right is he calls out to Jesus. 
he doesn't try to fix this situation himself. He doesn't look back at the boat to the other 11 guys and say, hey, hey, toss me a, a, a life vest, a vest or a, you know, a paddle or something. Like, help me out here. Get me back in the boat. He doesn't just go into the waves and try to make a swim for it. No, he calls out to Jesus. He looks to Jesus as Lord. And that was the very best thing he could do. Because even though his faith was small, he had enough of it to know who to call out to. And when you're in the storms of life, which could be anything, it could be, it could be storms in your career, it could be storms in your home, in your family, in your health, in your finances, whatever it is, when you are in the storms of life, what you hope in becomes really clear. And what Peter hoped in, we know from the story, the story he hoped in Jesus. He looked to Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves today, if some of us are feeling the storms of this world and we're looking to our wealth as our hope or maybe the possibility of it as our hope. Some of us are looking to the government as our hope. Your hope may be in your career. It may be in a person or in a relationship. Your hope may, may even be in, in another God or in another religious system. We can make anything our Lord, but here's what Peter learned. Storms not only reveal the source of your hope, storms also reveal the strength of it. That, that if I can just remind us of something, the stock market is not strong enough to save you and me. That a political party, the government, there's no political party that is strong enough to give us adequate hope to make it through the hopelessness of this world. You and I cannot save ourselves. We are not strong enough. Only Jesus can. And so Peter does something massively right in this, in this scene. He looks to Jesus as the source of his hope to save him. And that's what Jesus does. He saves Peter and then Jesus asks Peter, he says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And we always read this passage through the lens of faith because it shows up right there. You have so little faith. So why am I using it to talk about hope? And it's because I think we sometimes miss the relationship between faith and hope because they're related, but they're not the same. These are, these are very distinct from one another. That faith is actually the foundation of our hope. Even in Hebrews, another letter written in the New Testament says that faith is the certainty. It's the confidence of things that we hope for. It's the foundation of it. And faith is actually, here's how they're related. Faith is anchored in the past, right? Faith is from experience. Because of who we've experienced God to be, because of what we've done, because of what we've heard he has done, we can have faith. That sets the foundation. Hope, on the other hand, is anchored in the future. It's this belief that God is going to do something and we are confident of that. And we have so much confidence that that confidence is actually leaking into the present, whatever hopelessness we might be in the midst of right now. So here's the question for us. What's the source of your hope? right now because you are probably going to go through a storm if you are not in one already and that will be one way to be able to tell what our hope is really in is when we feel the ground underneath us begin to shake when we find ourselves getting a little frightened that is when we are revealed, that's, that's when our hope is revealed to us. And it's also revealing just how strong that hope is. And so what are you looking to? What am I looking to, to save us when that happens? Here, here's why this is so important. It's the second thing that Peter learned about hope along the way that, that he wants us to know too. 
is that when your hope is in Jesus, nothing is hopeless. See, this, this scene on the Sea of Galilee, this was not the only storm that we know that Peter went through. There was another kind of storm that shows up, and we flip over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. Acts is kind of this historical document of the New Testament that, that records Luke, the historian, just details the movement of the gospel and the growth of the church in the time right after Jesus was here on earth. And sometimes when we're reading other letters and parts of the New Testament, these letters that were written between churches and people, it's helpful to go back to Acts because this helps us see what was going on in the world while these letters were being written. And so back in Acts, this, this is probably some, in Acts 12, this is probably some time before Peter wrote his letter. When Peter writes his letter, this is later in his life. He's probably in Rome at this time. But in Acts 12, he's, he's still uh, in Jerusalem. And it says to us that King Herod Agrippa started persecuting Christians in the early church. Now, Peter's good friend and fellow disciple, James, the brother of John, who, who was an, another fisherman. Peter had probably grown up with this guy. He was a good friend. James gets executed by the sword. Luke's implication here is that James was beheaded. And Herod sees just, just how much this pleased the crowds, that Herod decides to arrest another leader of the church, G, uh, Peter, and he throws them in prison to await a public trial. Now, public trials in the first century did not go well. We see that with Jesus, but throughout for the leaders and the church and the followers of Jesus, public trials just, just didn't bode well. We see that in James, in, in James' life, of how his life ended. Now, to make matters worse, Herod stations four squadrons of four soldiers each to guard Peter through the night before his trial happens. That's 16 soldiers keeping watch over him until his trial and certain death. If there was a word to describe the situation that Peter found himself in right now, it's hopeless, right? But Luke includes this, this small detail. He says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Now, just as an aside, Harlan, this is what we do for each other. We pray for each other as the church. And when I say church, I don't just mean what happens in this building on the weekends. The, the, the church, what the church actually is, it's our relationships with one another. And we talk so much about making space our, in our crowded lives and busy world, making space for relationships so that we can be the church, so that we can pray for one another. That when we walk through hopeless situations, now we may not be facing the hopelessness that, that of, having our, of being beheaded or being imprisoned or killed for our faith, not like these guys were or like some, many people still are throughout the world, but I wanna give us permission to feel whatever hopelessness you're feeling. That whatever you're going through, if it feels hopeless, to let it. And what we get to do as the church is to stand with one another in our hopelessness. That this week, some of you have prayed for friends who feel hopeless as they fight to save their marriage. This week, some of you have, have prayed for friends in their hopelessness as they walk alongside a child stuck in addiction. That this week, some of you have prayed for friends in their, in their hopelessness as they deal with, with new diagnoses that they're trying to figure out plans with. Because as the church, part of what we do, our privilege, is to be hopeful for one another when all that they may see or feel is hopelessness. So often, that's what our prayer for one another is. 
It's saying to God, they are in a hopeless place. They may not be able to pray. They may not have the words for it, but I will. I do. I am trusting and having hope in you, God, on their behalf. Luke continues the story. He says, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. He was fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate, and suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. It's kind of like waking my kids up in the morning. And the chains fell off his wrists, and the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. And now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered him. Now, if if you read this or you hear this, especially if you're maybe just curious about God and Christianity, um, this sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to me. It sounds completely unbelievable. In fact, it felt crazy and unbelievable to Peter. (laughs) If we read on in this story, Peter thinks this whole thing's a dream. He thought it was a vision. He didn't even, it wasn't until the angel and him were walking out the city gates, which just, (laughs) think about that. walking out the city gates with an angel. That's the moment where Peter kind of has this realization, oh my gosh, this is, this is really happening. But this is what Peter learned in that moment, is that when your hope is in Jesus, there's so, no such thing as a hopeless situation. Sure, your situation may be hard. You may not have hope. It may feel hopeless. But it's not because hope's not possible. And I love this detail that Luke includes in the passage. He, he says that the, the, the chains that were on uh, Peter's wrists broke, that they released. The chains broke. The very object that showed just how hopeless Peter's situation was broke. Because when we have hope in Jesus, that's the power of hope, that it can break the hopelessness of whatever it is that we are in the midst of. Now, even as I say that, I want to confess something. There have been times where I've heard messages like this, and I've been in what felt like a very hopeless situation, and I didn't have much use for those messages. If I were you, and I was feeling something really hopeless, and there's this guy up on stage talking to you about hope, I might take issue with it. I'd have a lot of questions. I'd be like, really? Do you know what it is that I'm going through? And that's why, that's why we have to be, be clear that sometimes it may not work out the way that you want it to. But that's not, you know, sometimes it may work out the way you want to, but that's not always the case. Oftentimes it doesn't. See, it turned out different for Peter, who's miraculously rescued from prison, than it did for James, who was beheaded. Now, is that because Peter had more hope Is that because Peter was being prayed for or being prayed for more by the church of his day? No. No, it's not at all. See, there's something about hope in Jesus that we can't miss. There's a difference between hoping for something and hoping in something. When you are hoping for something, you can be hoping for happiness. You can be hoping for retirement. You can be hoping that your marriage will be saved. You can be hoping for children. You can be hoping for clear scans. Anything that we hope for can be taken away from us. In fact, Jesus tells us as much. He says back in John 10, he says, there is an enemy in this world who has come to, he's a thief. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what he will try to steal, kill, and destroy is whatever it is that you are hoping for. And he may just do that. 
But what he can't steal, what he can't kill or destroy, is the God that you hope in. That when your hope is in Jesus, you will never go through a hopeless situation. See, what sets your hope in Jesus apart from every other hope a person in this world can have is that your hope, my hope, is in someone who conquered the most hopeless situation there ever was. We have been singing about this since the time this service started. We have been reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he has done that he has been resurrected from the grave and he has conquered our sin, that he came up out of death. When your hope is in Jesus, nothing is hopeless. This is what Peter learned about hope. And this is why now, years later in 1 Peter, he's writing fellow Christians who find themselves in their own storms and prison cells, some literally, some figuratively, who are going through hopeless situations to let them know, hey, not all hopes are created equal. But there's one more thing that he wants us to know, that he wants them to know about hope. And it's not just, it's not just what hope is. It's, it's, it's what we do with hope. That Peter tells us, this is really the whole thrust of this verse that we're looking at today. He tells us this third thing, that our hope in Jesus is what we offer a hopeless world. That, that hope in Jesus is what we offer. Let's go to this, this verse in 1 Peter. Look at this closely again. Always be prepared to give an answer. That hope is something that we give, that we offer to our hopeless world. You know how this happens? You know how we give answers to people about the hope that we have? They have to ask you, right? That, that Peter's, his assumption here is that we are living with so much hope that it begs the curiosity of our world. This is why it's so important that we stay in view of our world. It also is so important that we have our hope in Jesus because as followers of Jesus, he says, when you actually live with this hope in you, the world will wonder why. They will ask you. So here's the question that we have to walk away with is how? How do we live in such a way that causes the people around us to take notice of the hope that is in us? And here's how we do this, Heartland. And I mean that. Heartland, Heartland, that if you are sitting here, we are Heartland. We are the church. We are this people of God living in a hopeless world. And we have an opportunity as Heartland to show this world the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and here's how we do it. First of all, we wait in hope. We wait and hope. Hope implies that we're waiting for something. That what Jesus began on Easter will one day be complete when he comes back and when he restores everything that is broken. That at Easter, we're going to celebrate what he did. And this gives us hope that God is putting things back together and a time is coming when everything that is broken will be made whole. I was listening to a podcast between two authors I really, I greatly appreciate, I admire, I recommend them. Glenn Packiam and Rich Velotis. The podcast is called Conversations on Hope. And in it, they're talking about hope because they both have written and spoken extensively about this. And, and what, what they say, Rich, tells, Rich says in this podcast, he says, hope is a trust that within history and beyond, God is working in all things to bring about healing in Christ. Hope is a trust, not a feeling. It's a trust. Not just one day, but already now. God is doing something to then one day bring about healing in Christ. And this is what gives us confidence to be able to wait. 
And if there is one thing that our world struggles with more than anything else, it's waiting, isn't it? You know this. We know this. We experienced this. Some of you are getting some elbow nubs, uh, you know, jabs right now from someone that you're sitting next to because maybe you're not a very good waiter. And so if we want to stand out in the world, it's really not that hard. Just be a good waiter. That is one way to set yourself out apart from the world. In fact, if there's an opposite to waiting, I think it's complaining, right? We, we, when we don't like waiting, we immediately start complaining. So this week, don't complain. Try this out. Just, just don't complain. Try it in the small things, in the drive through lane. Just be a good waiter. When you're waiting on your kids to get out the door, when you're waiting for your coffee at Starbucks, when you're on hold with someone on the phone and then they finally get over to you and you want to let them know just how agitated you are, don't. I guarantee you, if you do this, people will take notice. They maybe even ask questions. Now, these are just small things. But we can do it in the small things because what we are doing as a people of hope is, is waiting for something even greater that one day when Jesus restores everything. But we don't just wait. Here's the, other, here's the other way we live in such a way is that people ask us about the hope we have. We work, but we do it in hope. See, our waiting is anything but passive, and the world will not notice a passive hope. But it will notice and get curious about an active one. The hope that we have for the future stimulates us to work on behalf of that hope today. Here's, here's what I mean. Our hope stimulates us to see the hopelessness of the world around us and to step into it. To see the hopelessness, let's just pull a few examples. To see the hopelessness of poverty and to step into the, that hopelessness by working against it. To see the hopelessness of racial injustice and to step into it by coming alongside those who experience it, by listening to their experiences and trying to understand what they're feeling and modeling diversity and reconciliation, especially as the church, as the people of God. That we see the hopelessness of orphans and refugees and we step into that hopelessness by caring for them and by caring for those who are caring for them. Rich Velotis, he says that when we do this, when the church steps into the hopelessness of our world, and there's so many different hopeless things within society and in our, in our world, and sometimes the church kind of moves away from that. Sometimes churches jump all into that, and we have to realize there's an urgency to this kind of work. There's also a limitation <laughs> because we can't fix the world. Only God can, and one day he will. But if we just wait around until he does, our world will find nothing curious and intriguing about us. And there is too much good to be brought about and healing that we can be a part of helping to happen when we step into the hopeless situations of our world. Here, here's how Rich Velotis describes this. He gives us a metaphor. You remember back in the day in shopping malls and the food courts when someone would stand out in front of the counter who worked for that restaurant there and they would hold out a toothpick of like a piece of chicken, right? And they wanted you to get to kind of taste, to experience what it is that they were offering. This is one of my favorite things. It's not a shopping mall, but at Costco, this is how you get a free lunch, right? <laughs> College students, there you go. Uh, you walk around. That's why I'm, one of the reasons I'm glad the pandemic is over is because you can still sample the things that are, that are around there. And they're holding this out for you in hopes that you will be curious enough to try it. When we work in hope, when we step into the hopelessness of our world, we hold out the toothpick of who God is 
to the world so that they can sample the hope that God is working in all things to bring about healing in Christ. And so what's the toothpick, Heartland, that we're holding out to our world? What's the hope that they see at work as we work in hope in our world? We wait in hope. We work in hope. But there's one more thing. We worship in hope. I don't want to miss something. See, today you may find yourself hopeless in some ways, despite everything you know about God, despite knowing everything that he's done for you. You may find yourself hopeless. And the question then is, when we find ourselves hopeless, what moves us from hopelessness to hope? And right before Peter writes about being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, he says to them, but, we kind of flew past this, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. To revere is to choose to worship. He says, instead of, instead of being afraid, instead of being hopeless, choose to worship because worship always is a choice. And we worship in so many different ways, but one of the main ways we do this is through song. It's through music. It's when we come and we choose to worship Christ as Lord. And I know, I know worship happens a lot of different ways, but, but there's a reason why we do this every single week. It's because of the power that music and song has to stir hope in us. There's a reason why I started this message quoting from David's psalm, because this was actually the, the book of songs for the people of, of Israel. And what I love about this, if you are ever feeling hopeless, the Psalms are your book because they put language to our hopelessness. That David wrote this Psalm, this crying out for hope on the front lines of his life when he was up against the hope and he had a lot of hopeless situations when you read about his life. And in it, he pens this prayer that then becomes a song of the whole people of Israel that now is in this book that we use, that we read, that we write music to, to give us because when we worship, we make ourselves more hopeful. We move from hopelessness to hope. So I want to invite the band up. And I want us actually to do this. Because usually we worship when we feel hopeful, right? But when we most need to worship is when we don't. When we need to worship is when we feel hopeless. When we feel hopeless, that's when we should actually sing the loudest. When we are feeling hopeless, that's when we should actually work harder to be here with one another, to be a part of this service, to watch online in our hopelessness. But I think there's something about being here because we get to hear the voices of one another around us. Because when we come and worship, this is a, we're choosing to worship. We're choosing to let these lyrics remind us of who God is. That we're choosing to let the songs, the music, the harmonies, the instrumentation stir our emotions from their hopelessness. And we let the voices of the people around us let be, let be voices of hope on our behalf. That sometimes in your hopelessness, what you need is to come here and have songs being sung around you and above you to remind you of the hope that you have. This is why this is so important. Not just important, it's good. Because worship, when we worship in hope, it moves us from a place of hopelessness 
to hope, but it's something we have to choose to do, that you cannot just show up. We choose to do it. That may mean that you choose to sing even though you don't feel like you can or you're not very good at it. You choose to do it. It brings you hope. You choose to pull your hands out of your pockets because it, it, your, it's your body telling your soul just who, how great God is. So you're like, well, this feels uncomfortable, but God, I'm willing to receive whatever you have for me. God, I'm willing to proclaim to you, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to tell my soul what to do. I'm going to pound this into my chest that you are someone worth hoping in because I'm trusting that you are up to something and I want that trust to leak into my present. And so Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the reminder of the hope that we have, whether we feel it or not. Lord, I pray specifically for anyone right now that is just feeling like they are caught in the storms or prison cells of hopelessness. Lord, we pray for them. We pray knowing that we have been in similar places, God, that we all will be at some point. And Lord, in these moments, we give you permission to reveal to us what the source of our hope truly is. Lord, because our deepest desire is that our hope would be in you. Because we know that not all hopes are created equal. And there is nothing stronger than you. And so, Lord, continue to grow us in hope. And not only to hold on to hope, but now as we go out into our lives and into our world, Lord, help us to have hope to offer to those around us, to live in such a way, in such a way that it begs the curiosities and questions of our world that would ask us, Lord, would they, why are you so hopeful? And that we would have the courage to respond. It's because we trust in you, God. We trust in what you are doing. We know what you have done for us through Jesus and what you will one day do. Lord, let us be that kind of people. And friends, if this is your prayer as well, Heartland, would you say, shout out loud, amen?